Good morning, guys. As Leon mentioned earlier, we're starting a new series called Small Books with Big Wisdom. I nearly said it the other way around. Big Books with Small Wisdom. Don't waste your time on books like that, right? So Small Books with Big Wisdom. Uh, that's the series that we're looking at for the next four weeks. And then I'll be doing the next two. The way we wanted to start this series off, though, is to help you guys understand a framework that helps you make the most out of reading I suppose the more obscure books of the Bible, which I suppose these four books that we're going to be studying are, right? Uh, so you'll get an email tomorrow, whether you like it or not. Everyone who's signed up is going to cop an email in their inbox. I'm going to put it up on Facebook as well, for those of you who like Facebook. Um, this, this PowerPoint that I'm about to run you through. Uh, so please make, yeah, avail yourself of those. I've also made a note in the email if you want a printed copy. Just come and see me and I'll, I'll print it up for you, right? But we want to run through, and, and Travis and I will be using the same framework when we present our sermons over the next four weeks as well to help us uh, make the most out of reading the Bible, right? And how to get our heads around these, these books that you, you may not know a lot about. Um, a lot of this, well, there's this book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Who's read this book? Yep, cool. Yeah, and of course you have. Uh, you get prescribed it in first year at Morley and probably every other Bible college, right? Uh, it's a really helpful book. Uh, it was, yeah, it's been revolutionary for a lot of people. I'm going to leave a copy of this and a couple of other books in the foyer at the end. Please don't take them, um, but uh, have a look at them, peruse them, and leave them there. And then if, if you want one, uh, yeah, we can order one uh, for you at your own cost. Uh, right, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll have these out the front afterwards. Uh, it's a really helpful book. Um, but here's some things that we can ask before we read a book of the Bible that maybe we don't know too much about, right? Uh, as these questions, we need to understand the background. The first one is, who wrote the book, right? Some, sometimes it's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, Nahum today. Okay, that's cool. Um, who was Nahum, right? Uh, we, we may not know much about that person. Uh, and we ask the question, what is it about? What is this book about? Uh, is it written to people in exile? Is it, uh, is it written to people who are happily living under God's rule uh, in that brief period of time in Israel? Is it written to people uh, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago? Is it a story? Is it a poem? We need to understand these things, right? When was it written? We need to understand the time frame that it was written as well. Uh, and we also need to understand why. What was going on that, uh, that sort of led the author of this book, uh, inspired by God, to write it down? These are important questions. We need to understand and get our heads around these before we read the books, right? Are these easy questions to answer? They're not really, are they? Unless you've done a lot of study and a lot of background, you're going to struggle to answer these questions just off the top of your head, right? I've, I did Bible college like 16 years ago, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm trained and I've practiced and all that sort of stuff, and I, even I can't sit down with every book of the Bible and answer these four questions. And this is where tools come in handy. There are certain tools we can use, and we've got them up on the slides here. Now, the first one is this. Uh, this comes from a study Bible. Now, this is a study Bible, right? It's thick. It's dense. It's got a lot of good stuff. This is the ESV study Bible. Uh, another popular one, probably the most popular one, would be the NIV study Bible. Very helpful uh, because at the beginning of each book, it answers those four questions for you. Uh, it gives you that background that you need, right? And it also it looks, 
you look pretty cool when you've got a book sitting like this on your desk or bookshelf. But if you don't want to go and buy a study Bible, uh, all the book intros from the NIV study Bible are online. If you go to this place called biblica.com, and again, all the links will be sent out to you in an email, uh, you're able to just click on the book you want, and it gives you the background. Uh, you can find out who wrote it. Nahum, right? But who is Nahum? It'll explain. When did he write it? Why did he write it? Uh, It'll explain all of these things to you and give you this background. Some of it may go a little more in depth than you uh, may need, but that's all right. Uh, You just highlight the main points, try to get your head around uh, what's going on. So that's that's one uh, slide. The next slide is going to show us about the Bible Project. Who's ever watched one of the Bible Project videos before? Put your hand up. Cool. A number of us. The Bible Project is really helpful, especially for people who are very visual, Right? Uh, there'll be, it's usually a five minute uh, video, uh, animated video with people drawing, really cool drawings that outlines books of the Bible. Every single book of the Bible has a video attached to it. You can download this big chart that you can stick on your wall uh, to remind you where you're up to in the book and it'll explain the who, why, where, all that sort of stuff of the, uh, of the book you're reading. You can go either on your YouTube site or just Google search Bible Project and you'll find it. Again, all these links will be sent to you uh, and I can print them up for you as well. And here's another one, uh, devotional app. If you like doing, well, you should like reading the Bible in your own time. Uh, uh, I use this app called Explore. Now, unlike a lot of devotionals, it's not just one Bible verse and then someone's thoughts on that Bible verse. They are helpful sometimes, but I find this really good. It goes through whole books of the Bible. Uh, it gives you an introduction to them, and each day you'll read a, couple of, you'll read a chapter or two chapters, uh, and it'll explain the context of each chapter and help you understand what that chapter's all about and uh, why it's important for you in the here and now. I'm currently doing Isaiah using this app, and it's super helpful with a book like Isaiah, which, if you just freestyle it, can your head in, right? Uh, each each uh, devotion will cost you like I think a dollar or a dollar fifty, but that'll be a whole book of the Bible. Isaiah goes for 75 weeks, so dollar fifty over 75 weeks, pretty good bang for your buck, right? Uh, you, can, you can check out your app store for the Explore devotional app, but that will help you with the background, right? Uh, who wrote it? Why did they write it? When was it written? And what was the reason for writing it? Uh, it's essential that we, that we get our heads around those things, Otherwise, we can read a passage or read a book of the Bible uh, and it can give us a completely wrong idea uh, of God's character, of who we are in God's eyes, because we don't understand the background. So I would encourage you uh, to make use of tools like this or even talk to your pastor or a community group leader or a a wise Christian uh, to help you get your head around it. Once you've got the background, we want to have a look at the context, right? Have a look at the context of the book. Travis will be doing this in his sermons. the pastors do this in every sermon they prepare, right? Look, the context, what is actually being said? So when you read a verse or a passage, what is actually being said? Uh, that's why it's not helpful just to pluck one verse out of the Bible and read it. Uh, read it in context. Read the whole chapter. Read the whole book. Make sure you understand the background. It'll help you understand what is actually being said. So I guarantee you, nothing in the Bible was written for Luke Chu living here in Narrabeen in 2018, right? Um, or me, either, or anyone. Uh, nothing is directly, it's all written for us, but it's never directly for us. It was written to particular people in particular times and places. And then we need to understand what's being said, but then uh, how would the original audience have understood it? These people thought very differently. 
than what we do. They're completely different worldviews to what we do. Uh, even between the Old Testament and the New Testament, worldviews, thoughts, all that had changed as well. So we need to understand, again, either using a study Bible or uh, uh, any of those other tools, what, how, how the people would have originally understood this text. And then the next slide, uh, is, this is the fun part, right? Uh, we understand that God's word is profitable for teaching and for rebuking and for encouraging. So once you've understood the background and the context, you're able to apply it to your own life. And so we can ask simple questions like this. What does this passage tell us about God? Uh, if you're reading the Bible, every, all of it will tell you something about God. So you'll be able to find something about God. Journal these down, jot them down, write them in your phone, uh, write them in a journal, notepad, however you do it. Uh, what does this passage tell us about ourselves? Uh, it'll bring some things to the surface, maybe about you individually or even about the condition of humankind. Uh, what does this passage tell us about our world and the state of our world, what our world needs? Uh, and then the fourth one uh, that I really like to, like, I, I like to sit with my Bible until I've answered this question. How will the truths that I've just read change the way I live? Right? How will this affect the way I live? How will it affect the way I worship God? How will it affect the way I treat other people? How will it affect the way I view myself and others around me? I don't want to go on any longer. These are pretty simple, uh, straightforward bits and pieces. But they do take a bit of work. They do take a bit of digging and a bit of effort, right? Uh, We can sit down, open the Bible, uh, and open to a random verse. And God can possibly speak to us in that way. Because God is powerful and he can use whatever means necessary. Uh, But if we want to get deep, it's it's worth that effort. It's worth uh, either going to that website, investing in a study Bible, grabbing a book like this... uh, and trying to get our heads around why these books were written, who they were written to, that's going to help us understand God and his word uh, much more effectively. I'm going to pop these out on the table, a study Bible, this book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, and another one called The Faith of Israel, which has intros to every book in the Old Testament and how it fits in with the grand scheme of things, the uh, whole Bible canon. Please have a look at those, flick through them, see what's helpful, uh, and we can, uh, yeah, we can help you find the right places to purchase those. Today's Bible reading comes from Nahum, chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. A prophecy concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite, the Lord's anger against Nineveh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation?
Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Um, it's, I'm excited to be with you as we go through this series. Um, I love the Bible. Uh, the Bible is an incredibly rich and beautiful book. Uh, it's God's revelation about himself, uh, about his love for his children, about his great rescue plan to win lost humanity back to himself. It's about a prince who left his throne to win back the one whom he loves. It's a book that we can gather uh, around uh, together every week uh, and examine for years on end, but still not mine, all of its riches. It's simple enough for little ones to understand and complex enough for wise scholars to admit that there's still more to discover. Uh, while all of those things are true, it's also true, as Kieran mentioned, for many of us, uh, that the Bible can be quite difficult to wrap our minds around. It doesn't always follow a, a logical or chronological order. It's written by various authors at various times who are often speaking to or about uh, people in situations that we know very little of. Uh, certain sections of scripture, like the Gospels, like the Psalms, are really easy and pleasant to read and understand. Uh, other parts leave us confused or bored or upset. Uh, many of us will even intentionally skip over certain books or verses in our Bibles because we don't like what they have to say or we think, uh, this, this is no longer relevant to us. Uh, but we at Narrabeen Baptist Church, we believe in this book. Um, we, in, in its entirety, and we think that it's God's word to us. Uh, every word of it has something to say, uh, not just to uh, its original audience, but to us today. Uh, this book has the ability, as the author of Hebrews says, uh, to penetrate our hearts, to change us, to reveal who God is, who we are, and how we are to view and live in this world that God has created. Um, all 66 books within this sacred text have something that they want to tell us. Um, but how do we go about studying and loving the parts of Scripture that we find difficult or confusing? Well, that's what we'd like to spend the next four weeks doing together. Uh, we've come up with a series called Little Books, Big Wisdom. Uh, and over the next month, we're going to examine and unpack four books in the Bible that um, all have several, several things in common. Uh, the first and most obvious trait about these books that they share is that they're all relatively short in length. Uh, you could read each of these books in less than 10 minutes. Um, secondly, each of these books have wisdom to add to our stories today. Third, each of these books are often ignored or overlooked for various reasons. And fourth, each of these books contains controversial subject matter, which may be the reason why they're often ignored or overlooked. Uh, so the question before us today is how can you and I read sections of scripture uh, like these, like these books that we're about to study, and get the most out of them? Uh, we're going to begin today by looking at the Old Testament book of Nahum, as I say it. Uh, you can call it Nahum or I don't know, whatever. You can call it what you do, that's what I call it. Um, and we're going to use this method that Kieran just shared with us to explore uh, these ancient words. Uh, and as we go through the series, as Kieran said, we're going to go through each book of the Bible in that way, so that as we uh, are studying the Bible, you could sort of be able to take 
th- those methods, those techniques, and go home and whatever Bible you're reading or whatever passage that you're reading, apply these same sorts of things yourself, that you don't need us to sort of go through this for you, but you can do it yourself. Uh, and so we're going to begin by looking at Nahum, and if you've ever read Nahum, um, it can be very gut-wrenching to read. Let me just give you a sneak preview of one of uh, the great verses in here. This is uh, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says this, I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will pelt you with filth. I will treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. Now, I'm certain as I've read those words, uh, some of you might have cringed. Because um, we think about, wait, wait, we talk about this God who loves us, um, and th- this is the same God, this, that same God of love using sexist language to uh, humiliate some enemy of his in embarrassing fashion. H- how can that be the same God of Jesus, right? Uh, what are we supposed to do with Bible passages like this? H- how is that God's word to us? That's, that's how we often react and respond. But before we jump off the all-scripture-is-God-breathed bandwagon, uh, I'd like us to stop and reset for a moment. Uh, If this book is, in fact, God's word to us, verses like this must have some point, right? I mean, they wouldn't just be in here randomly for no reason. Uh, And if it has a point, then we need to find out what that point is, rather than simply give up or erase these verses out of our Bibles. Uh, which leads us to the method that Kieran just led us through. Uh, to begin with, to wrestle with those words in a healthy way, you and I need to do a bit of homework. Um, we need to explore the background of Nahum. We need to dive into the context of the words themselves before finally uh, taking what we've learned from those first two steps and uh, applying it to our lives today. So, let's do this together. How do we discover the background, the who, what, when, why of Nahum? Well, there are several ways that you can do this. Um, You can read through the book itself. um, And often the book itself will tell you some of those details. In Nahum chapter 1, verse 1, it answers the who and what questions. It says, uh, an oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. So the who, who is it written by? This this prophet named Nahum the Elkishite. Who is it written to? Uh, It's written to people living in Nineveh. Uh, There are other verses in Nahum, if you read it, that sort of reveal the when and the why. But unless you're really well versed in ancient Near Eastern historical events, those details can be a bit harder to discover. Uh, Which is why it's helpful to turn, as Kieran said, to a study Bible uh, or a resource like that. This is my study Bible that I've had for about 20 years now. I've used it so much that pages just fall out. um, And it's duct taped together, uh, which is I love it and I still use it today. Um, And I'd really encourage you, if you don't have a study Bible and you want to read your Bible for all it's worth, it's a really great tool to have. Because not only does it have those introductions to all the biblical books, but there's sort of, uh, there's notes at the bottom of my Bible here that tell you, like, if there's a weird or strange passage that sort of tells you what that means. There's other uh, sections that cross-reference verses. It's just really helpful to have. And it's really easy just to say, all right. As I'm reading this, it ha- actually helps me to discover what this stuff is. 
Uh, and so, um, or you can use one of those websites, which are free, and uh, I make use of those all the time. And that's what I did for this sermon. I basically read through my study Bible. I, I looked at some of the websites um, that Kieran mentioned, and I said, what, what is the background? What's going on uh, in the book of Nahum? And here's what I discovered from those resources. Um, Nahum is a prophet of the Lord. It's his job to speak God's word to the people. Uh, who is he speaking to? Well, partially he's speaking to uh, people who live in the ancient Assyrian capital of Nineveh. But he's also speaking to people who live in Judah, who are God's people, uh, who the Assyrians are heavily oppressing. What is the book about? Uh, it's an oracle, which is the type of vision that God gives Nahum about uh, Nineveh's impending destruction. It's written sometime immediately before 612 B.C., which from historical evidence we know is when Nineveh is conquered by Babylon and destroyed. And why did Nahum write this? Well, the word Nahum, that name Nahum, means comfort. And it's a book about comfort. And you may ask yourself, well, how is a book about impending doom on a city comforting? Right? That doesn't make any sense. Well, history tells us, let me tell you why. History tells us that the Assyrian Empire was built on conquest and destruction. Uh, They had the newest military technology, and with great speed and uh, great delight, they conquered uh, the surrounding nations, not only taking over these territories, but terrorizing and humiliating uh, the people who lived in those places in horrible ways. Uh, Let me just read out to you a section uh, from a book called the NIV Application Commentary on Nahum by a guy named James Bruckner. He's a scholar. And if you are not good with graphic descriptions of violence, this might be time to cover your ears for a minute or two, because this is really intense. It says this, Records left by the Assyrians brag of live dismemberment, often leaving one hand attached so they could shake it before the person died. They made parades of heads, requiring friends of the deceased to carry them on elevated poles. They boasted of their practice of stretching live persons with ropes so that they could be skinned alive. The human skins were then displayed on city walls and on poles. Those who survived the sack of the city were tied in long lines of enslavement and deported to Assyrian cities to labor on building projects. Tens of thousands and hundreds of cities suffered this fate over the 250 years of the Assyrians' reign of terror." And this is just a small portion of the innumerably horrendous ways that Assyrians treated their neighbors. If you go to the British Museum or look through history books, the Assyrians actually left records of their own conquest in describing in graphic detail how they treated other people. It was something they thought was a joy to record these, uh, this information. And if you are someone who is living in Judah, that was just to the south of Assyria, uh, you were un- under constant threat. The Assyrians would regularly venture into Jewish territory, pillaging, killing, and taking people back as slaves, often leaving piles of dead bodies and ash behind. If you ever read through the book of Jonah, are you aware of that story, the book of Jonah, whale, all that stuff? Uh, It may now make some sense to you why Jonah ran the complete opposite direction and chose to jump into the sea when God told him to go to Nineveh and preach to the people there. Right? Why would I ever go and hang out with those types of people? They're the worst types of humans. Right? These were not just enemies of God. They were cruel humans who were part of a tyrannical empire. So again, how is this book a message of comfort? Right? 
Well, let's move on to the next part of how to study our Bibles, and that's understanding the context of the words that are written here as the original audience would have understood it. So what are are the words, what are they saying, and how would this be understood if you were a person, say, living in Judah back then? Well, imagine that is you, that you are a citizen of Judah, living in fear every day that these Assyrians could come at any minute and kill you and your family in the worst possible ways. You have no sense of peace. You have no promise of security. Uh, You're always on the alert as to when you might hear the galloping of horses or the clanging of swords on shields for when these people could come in at any time. It would be very frightening to live in that sort of place at that time. You would probably even be wondering where God was in all this if he even cared about you at all. Only a few decades before Nahum wrote this, uh, 80% of Judah's surrounding neighbors, the Jewish people, had been killed or enslaved by the last major Assyrian invasion. Uh, And you might think of it, if you want to think of it sort of in more modern terms, what must this have felt like to be uh, living in Judah at that time? It might have been similar to being a Jew living in Nazi Germany. Or living in Cambodia during uh, Pol Pot. Or maybe even living in Syria today. With all this violence and chaos just perpetually going around. Now, imagine reading these words from Nahum chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temples of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. Look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed." Now, if you're picking this up and reading it without doing this homework, having no context whatsoever to understand what was happening at the time uh, and how the original audience would have understood this, um, we might just read it and quickly dismiss it, right? Uh, God is telling an entire city that he's going to wipe them out. How is that loving? How is that fair? But understanding the context gives us a greater appreciation of the text because these words were not originally written for you and me Uh, And they weren't written in a vacuum. Uh, If you were living in Judah, afraid every single day for your life because you live right next door to an empire known for its endless cruelty, reading Nahum's words would actually be incredibly good news. Why? Because God does not ignore the cries of the oppressed. God is a God of justice. He will take action against unrestrained evil. And that is what the three short chapters of Nahum are all about. In verse 3 and verses 7 to 8 in Nahum chapter 1 are sort of the main message of the entire book. Verse 3 reads, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. And he continues in verses 7 and 8, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. The Bible states God's desire is that all people live together for him in peace. We, all of us, no matter who you are, are welcomed into God's family. But in Nahum, there's a word that if you continually participate in bloodshed, in violence, in lust for sex or money or power... 
or bringing unspeakable cruelty to the world around you and the people that God has made, you have made yourself God's enemy. He is against you, and you are in trouble. He is slow to anger, but he cannot and will not let unfettered sin go on forever. So if you are on this side of oppression, of greed, of treating your fellow humans as footstools on which to build your own splendor, then you are going to meet a bitter end. And we know that's exactly what happened in 612 BC to the city of Nineveh. God is a God of justice. That's one side of the coin, and that's a good thing. On the other side of the coin, uh, God is good. Verse 7 says, He is one in whom people can find refuge. And this book is being written, or is being read, not just by the good guys in Judah, but people who are oppressing people. They're reading these same words, and they're, they're being told they can actually find refuge in God as well. In the midst of evil at your doorstep, you can find your hope in him because God cares for you. Nahum echoes what many other parts of the Bible affirm, that God loves those who are forgotten, those who are abused, those who are uh, insulted, rejected, and oppressed. In Genesis, when uh, Hagar, who is a maidservant of Abraham's wife Sarah, is sent away into the desert with her young son to die, uh, God meets her and promises that he is going to care for her. When the Israelites cry out uh, in slaves in Egypt, God tells Moses he's heard the cry of his people in their misery, and he's going to lead them out. Jesus spent much of his time healing, teaching, and encouraging those whom society at that time had left out or left behind. Children, women, the poor, the infirmed. Uh, We even see in God's goodness, he welcomes those people who have once been the oppressors, that even those people that we are the bad guys, have there's hope for them. You think of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, uh, who stole and cheated his own people out of their wealth. And yet Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house and announces that today Zacchaeus too is part of God's family. You think of people like Paul, the great persecutor of Christians, who meets Jesus on the road and uh, turns around and instead becomes Jesus' greatest ambassador. We know that a few decades before Nahum was written, Jonah eventually did go to Nineveh. And he told them God's hard word, that they had a choice uh, between changing their ways. Uh, They could change their ways or they could continue what they're doing in their cruelty and uh, be destroyed. And we know that for a period they actually sought God's forgiveness and mercy and he gave it to them. When you can understand the the background of a biblical book, it gives you a bigger perspective on what the words, sentences, and themes themselves are in context. Nahum goes from being this outdated work that no longer uh, carries over into the 21st century with our modern-day values and culture to being something that's actually entirely relevant and meaningful to people today. Which leads us to the third part of how to read our Bible for all it's worth, the application So what does it tell us about God, about ourselves, about the world that we live in? How do we as readers in 2018 respond to a 2,600-year-old document that wasn't written directly to or about us? Let's go back to those helpful questions that Kieran asked. First, what does Nahum tell us about God? If you read through the book, it tells us that God is grieved by the death of the innocent. It tells us that his goodness and his justice compel him to orchestrate the downfall of oppressive nations. 
It tells us that he is with you in your pain and suffering despite the circumstances that you find yourself in. It tells us that even if you stand with the, you are an oppressor, there is still hope for you. You can still find your refuge in him. What does it tell us about ourselves? Well, let me quote this, uh, this from the same commentary that I mentioned earlier. It says this, Nahum is primarily a book of hope and comfort to those who are being or have been victimized or oppressed. It is a book for survivors, for those who want to find hope beyond their oppression. It provides hope to believers who live in the midst of unmitigated cruelty. Nahum is also a word of warning to believers who find themselves associated with oppressors. When the end comes and Yahweh's slow anger is unleashed, it is critical to know in whom you place your trust. And finally, what does this book tell us about the world that we live in? Well, like Nahum's day, we all know we live in a divided and broken world. Here in Sydney, you and I may experience small glimpses of the oppression and cruelty that he mentions. Uh, But if you pay attention, you'll know that in other parts of the world, um, that people today, millions of people around the world, are experiencing uh, the same sort of cruelty and injustice that God's people did back then, who are victims of systemic racism, war, genocide, poverty, uh, violence, and abuses of power. And if we have found refuge in our trouble by this God who cares for us, should we not be that same refuge to those who find themselves in the most dire of circumstances? Or at the very least, should we not stop and consider if anything in our life contributes to the abuse and cruelty of others, whether it's something that we know about or something that we don't know about, whether it's where our clothes have come from or where our jewelry is made, or what brands of food we buy, or the decisions that uh, the people make that we elected into power and holding them um, to, to account. So where do we go from here? Well, Nahum may be a very difficult book to read, but it's actually very incredible news. It fits perfectly into this ongoing story of a God who so loved us, uh, uh, of people that regularly participate in acts that destroy each other in the world around us, that he's doing something about us and about it. It is a message of immense hope for those who find themselves as victims of unspeakable tragedy. God is a God who is there, who who sees, who cares, and who acts. And as we have seen in Jesus... He invites us to stand with those who are suffering. If it is possible for us to do our homework and come to this sort of understanding with a a book to the degree of difficulty as Nahum, then we don't have really any excuse not to read and be empowered by all of Scripture. So I want to encourage you guys to go home and actually read through the book of Nahum. It took me only five minutes to read this book uh, by myself. Um, And after you've done so... I think it's really important for you to spend time praying and asking God how he is calling you to respond to a book like this. What is he telling you about himself and about his heart for the world? What is your role in his ongoing rescue mission in Jesus? Where and how can you stand for the things that God stands for and God stands against? I was listening to a podcast earlier this week, an interview with a guy named Gary Haugen, Uh, who is the founder and CEO of uh, an organization called the International Justice Mission. Um, Gary became a Christian in his teens, and uh, he later later went on to uni and got a degree in in law, 
and uh, he became a civil rights lawyer. Uh, in 1994, the U.S. government decided that they were going to send him uh, as part of a team uh, to Rwanda uh, to investigate uh, the genocide that happened there. If you're unaware, in a, a period of about three months, uh, millions of people were killed in really horrendous ways. So he landed in Rwanda, and it was just absolute chaos, like piles of bodies stacked everywhere, and trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do? How do you even begin to investigate what happened, and where do you go from here? And as a Christian, he said, uh, his understanding of faith uh, was very limited and had no response to what he had uh, come across. That for him, uh, the good news about Jesus was a personal thing, right? That God has saved me and transformed me, and now I get to go to heaven, and isn't that great? That I have this personal thing. But as he stood and looked out amongst the violence and carnage in, that was in Rwanda then, he said, doesn't, shouldn't, doesn't and shouldn't the Bible say something about this situation too? So he went back and started reading through scripture, through books like Nahum, and found out that actually God has a lot to say about this world. Uh, that God is not only interested in saving me as a sinner, as an individual, but God is interested at work in fixing this broken world. And so he, start, he founded International Justice Mission, which is this organization that goes into countries and they basically um, call out the abuses of oppressors and they rescue people from oppression in various ways, through law enforcement, through the court system, in various different ways, and it's an awesome organization. And as I was hearing this story, and as I was preparing this sermon and reading through this book, I was just overwhelmed to think, man, there's such a bigger thing that God wants to do. God is a God of good news, and where do I even start? And maybe that's what we're thinking about when we're reading this. I'm not someone who's been oppressed like these people have. How do I respond? Well, I think the way to respond is we start by praying. And that's how we're going to end the service. We're not going to have a a thrilling song that we get up and stand and sing and makes us forget about uh, this intense book that we just read. But actually, um, to walk out wrestling with this incredible word to us and how we ought to respond. Maybe for you, you want to grab someone on the way out and say, "Let's, let's pray for this broken world together. Maybe you want to seek help in growing in your understanding of Scripture. Maybe you want to sit down and apply these study techniques that we've just talked about and move through with one of the pastors or staff. We would love to do that with you. Uh, maybe you want to start a ministry to the downtrodden right here and right now or join in with a ministry that exists that's already doing that. But whatever you do, God's word invites us to ponder, to wrestle, and respond. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for a book like Nahum a book that has provided incredible hope, not just to people thousands of years ago, but uh, through the centuries, that God, you're a God who sees and knows and cares and acts um, against senseless cruelty and violence. God, we know as we look around this world that we see that's still happening. And God, you still have something to say. And uh, Lord, we pray that as we have read and looked at and studied your word, that would it continue to penetrate our hearts and lives and minds, that we would walk away from here asking those questions. God, who are you? Who are we? And how are you calling us to, uh, to respond and live uh, in this world? We pray that uh, we as a church would continue to have these conversations, that we would continue to do our homework to understand, uh, yeah, the depth 
um, in riches of your word, and that we'd walk away from here changed because we've met with you uh, in your word today. And we pray these things all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.